Good morning. It's so good to see all of you here this morning. I'd like to welcome you to our service. I also noticed that the prelude has a wonderful German title, which I just feel compelled to speak out. Schmücke dich, o liebe Seele. Bejewel yourself, dear soul. Um, and you can decide what that means. Uh, please rise for the call to worship. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for your grace that is evidenced through us to us by our prayers, Lord, as we come before you. This is a season of prayer for our congregation. We realize every season should be a season of prayer, but we're focusing on that, and we pray for your grace and for your love and faithfulness to be evident throughout this period. Help us to reflect on all you have done for each of us. Be with us now. Accept our worship. May we worship with our whole hearts this morning. In your name, amen.
Amen. What a uh, great word to begin our worship today of the greatness of God. We've come to worship Him and we've come to connect our hearts to Him and to each other. So let me invite you to take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship today. Introduce yourself to someone you may not know. Just a couple of things to uh, make mention to you. One is an insert in your bulletin uh, about the Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. Those are going to be collected next Sunday, so just take note of that if you are uh, participating in that. And also, I didn't bring it with me, but there's a little slip of paper that hopefully every college and grad student received this morning. If you came in about uh, luncheon we're hosting next Sunday after this service, though people will be uh, down in the community room uh, before this, after other services, but we'd love to have you join us for this lunch, and we would love for those of you in the community to be a part of this, because the whole point of it is to connect ourselves with each other, uh, to build relationships, to make some connections. So if you are interested, if you're in the community and you're interested in coming, there's a sign-up sheet in the back where you can contact the church office about food that you can bring. And uh, if you're a college student or grad student, if you know you want to come, just tear off the end of that with your name on it, throw it in the offering plate. It just gives us an idea of the count. If you come next Sunday and you didn't put that in and you want to stay, obviously we want you to stay. But uh, this is an opportunity for us to connect our lives and hopefully to build some long-lasting relationships as, uh, as we go through our, our journey together. And our goal is that for those of you who this is not a year, year-round residence, that it would feel like home a little bit more uh, during the time that you're here. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, 
It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed to Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is the word of the Lord. The ushers, please come forward, and we will sing the Gloria Patri, um, and then worship the Lord through our tithes and offerings. trust you to take these offerings and tithes that all belong to you in the first place and multiply them for the good of your kingdom here in Houghton and in the surrounding area and even into the world. And we thank you in your name.
Knowing that our times and our lives are in the hands of God, we come to Him with confidence, acknowledging our need for Him. I want to invite you to join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Our Father in heaven, forgive us for often responding to your call to prayer with disinterest. Forgive us for hesitating to trust your promises that our prayers matter. Forgive us for living and praying as if your passion to do good for us is untrue. Open our eyes, ears, and hearts to your admonition to embrace the privilege of prayer. Father, teach us to pray. Amen. Today we join our prayers with churches and Christians around the world for the persecuted church. We pray for the persecuted church every week, but specifically today we join our brothers and sisters in praying for the church. There's an insert in your bulletin about uh, praying, committing ourselves to pray. There are bookmarks that you can 
you can tear off there. There are ways to pray. And so as we spend time praying together today, as we pray for our own needs and the needs of our church and the wider world, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters also. If you would like to come to the altar to offer your prayers for the persecuted church, for others, for yourselves, please come and join me. Father, we thank you for who you are and for your work in the world. We thank you for your church that you have blessed and through whom you bless the world. We recognize that the evil one fights against your purposes and against your people. This morning we pray for those who are are facing the the wrath of evil and ask for your grace upon them. Help them to sense your presence. Help them to know that we are praying for them and people around the world are remembering them, not just this day, but day after day. We pray that you would help them to experience your comfort in the midst of their persecution and in the midst of it all to see you opening doors to help others know who you are. We pray, Father, that you will give them wisdom and boldness as they live out the gospel in front of others. Give them hearts of forgiveness and love, even for those who persecute them. We pray, Father, that you would help them as, as they work in, in judicious ways to help spread the gospel and to help hearts and lives Be changed through your spirit. In the midst of suffering and pain, give them the ability to be so focused on you that they would be joyful, even in pain. That they would be more and more mature and deeper in their faith. That they would be rooted in your word and that they be such a witness to those who oppose them, even violently. That they would be such a witness of love those who oppose them might actually come to say and to live, Jesus is Lord. Father, we pray for your church all around the world. And we think today of the Rodrigos in Sri Lanka. We thank you for the connection that we've had to them for many years. And we pray that you would continue to bless their ministry as they help people recover from the recent flooding, as they bear witness to you among the Sri Lankan people. Bless the church there. We pray, Father, for refugees throughout the world who face great hardships and difficulties. We pray for all who are recovering from recent disasters and and attacks and even now are facing the reality of war and violence in their very homes. We pray, Father, for our nation that you would bring healing to all the ways in which we are divided. We pray, Lord, for the elections on Tuesday. Lord, we, we pray that you will help us to be people who exude the spirit of Christ, whether the candidate we want 
is elected or not. Help us, Father, to be grace and kindness and love and mercy and peace in the midst of the possibility, the the difficulties of this election process. Let our light shine for Christ. And let us remember and know that whatever, however, whatever the outcome of any of the elections, that you are Lord. And nothing changes that. Father, we pray for our community and the areas around us. And we pray for the Genesis Bible Church in Sio and Pastor Chamberlain. May your blessing be upon him and the congregation. That they would be... Uh, It would be a a place of love and hope and grace. Lord, we pray for our own adult Sunday school classes as we continue to teach one another and and encourage one another and, and learn from one another and sharpen one another that you would continue to help us to grow deeper in our faith. Father, we pray for the needs that we come with and we represent. We pray for healing for all who are grieving. We pray, Father, for your healing grace upon all who are struggling with health concerns. We pray for David Hartley and Mildred Berry, for Doris Asepian, Blanche Weaver, Tammy Dunmire, for Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Bob Jobert, for Laurel Buecher, Bill Getty, Warren and Ella Woolsey, Phil Muecher, for Mike Raybuck and Bev Rett, for Micah Christensen and Linda Roth, for Dick Gould and Emily Cricklar and others who are on our hearts today. We ask for your healing grace upon each of them. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for hearing our prayers today, for our prayers every day. Thank you for hearing our prayers during our prayer vigil. We pray that as we come and we pray that we would sense your spirit in us individually and corporately. And may these next two weeks of this prayer vigil be life-changing for all of us. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I cast all my cares upon you. I lay all of my burdens down at your feet. And any time I upon you. I cast all my cares upon you. I lay all of my burdens down at your feet. And any time I don't know what to do, I will cast all my upon you. 
Our New Testament reading this morning is from Colossians 4, 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea, and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, See to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord.
seated. chance to uh, be in the prayer room, I encourage you to do that. We have a couple more weeks left, and uh, there are so many, so many things that are there to help us as we pray, as you can see just a few of those in the, in the video, that um, I think one of the things that, that makes me, has, has helped me through this prayer vigil, the series of these over the last eight years, is that it has expanded my, my view of what prayer is. I think growing up, it was, it, was a, it was a very narrow view of what it meant to pray. And as we've gone through these prayer vigils, and, and as we've thought about it, and as we've explored it, it, it has helped me to understand that there are many, many ways to engage God in prayer. Sometimes it's sitting in a chair and listening, speaking to God, and there's a lot of silence. Sometimes there's more energy. And sometimes there's, there's more activity, I should say, rather than energy, but more activity. And sometimes uh, God is able to speak into my heart through interactive things, some of the things you saw in the video. But what I've come to understand is that prayer is so much bigger, so much wider and deeper and larger than what I have typically understood it to be. And that is what comes to my mind as as I read once again the passage in Genesis 32 that we read a few moments ago. This is a story about Jacob. Jacob is, is, finds himself on the, brook, on the banks of the Jabbok River at night, frightened, weary, anxious, because tomorrow he's going to be meeting his brother Esau. This 20 years ago, 
Jacob deceived his brother, deceived his father, stole his brother's inheritance, and when threatened by his brother, he ran. And for 20 years, he's been living with his uncle and working with his uncle and and gaining all kinds of stuff. And now he's come back home and he isn't sure what his brother's going to do. Is his brother going to accept him? Is his brother going to, is he going to keep his, the threats that he's made against him? And he's worried. And here by himself, in his worry and his fear and his uncertainty, as he is, I'm sure, crying out to God, the strangest things happens. He gets involved in a wrestling match. I've been thinking a lot about wrestling. I'm not a wrestler. I did a little bit of wrestling in junior high gym class because we all had to do it. You know, you went through these various parts of gym class. But it's not really something that I have engaged in a lot. But I've been thinking a lot about wrestling. And I think wrestling is probably the most intimate sport of any sports that we encounter. I mean, you know, there's no ball involved in wrestling. There's no goal. There's no basket. There are no goal posts. It's just... Two guys on a mat, each other. And, and it is all about engaging one another in body-to-body action. And, and as opposed to most every other sport, this sport rewards that action. It rewards being together, in, engaged in one another, grasping, clutching, pulling, pushing, hugging. I mean, it is, it is just body-to-body, the whole thing. And in fact, in most sports... The object is to avoid your opponent. If you're playing football and you have the ball in your arm and you're running with the ball, you don't run towards your opponent. You run away from your opponent. In basketball, you're trying to fake out your opponent so you can drive around them to get to the basket. And, you know, all of what we do in sports is intended to avoid our opponent except for wrestling. And, in fact, in wrestling, if you avoid your opponent, you get penalized for that. It's called stalling. And and when they're lined up like this to begin a, a, a round... If, you, if when the whistle blows, you take two steps back, you get warned for that. You get penalized for backing away from your opponent because the whole point of wrestling, in fact, you'll see the referee say, do this, because that's the whole point of the match. The other thing about wrestling that intrigues me, and this is true of other sports as well, but wrestling is, is concerned with fairness. They have weight classes. They don't make a, they don't make a 225-pound senior wrestle a 100-pound freshman. They have in New York State, the high school wrestling has 15 different weight classes. And they do that so that there is, there is some semblance of fairness about strength and power and weight. And when I think about that and I think about Genesis 32, you could not find a more imbalanced wrestling match in all the history of the world than God versus Jacob. I mean, that makes David and Goliath look like pretty even matchup. God of the universe, the almighty one, the creator of all things, in a wrestling match with pitiful little Jacob, or pitiful little you and me, let's be honest. All God needs to do is put the tip of his pinky finger, if we can speak anthropometrically here a second, if morally, put a pink tip of his pinky finger on Jacob's chest and he pins him in a second. And yet, this wrestling match goes on all night. 
There is something about this wrestling match that makes me think of prayer. Wrestling with God. Now part of it is because we read in Colossians chapter 4. I didn't just pick that passage so that Goody would have a whole lot of names to have to stumble over as she was reading through it. In fact, when I sent the passage to Amanda, I said, here, send this to the worship leader with my apologies for having to do all of that. And did a great job with it. But it's that 12th verse where Paul says, Epaphras is wrestling with you in prayer. There is something about wrestling with God in prayer that is important, an important part of what it means to pray. And what is interesting in this story is that Jacob doesn't initiate this, God does. Jacob doesn't look over, see this man and say, I'm going to wrestle you and attack him. Jacob's there, sort of minding his own business, and the man sees him and attacks Jacob. And, and, you know, in our Bibles, often the heading, you have headings, paragraph headings, story headings. And in my Bible, I would assume yours does as well. It says, Jacob wrestles God. I think that's backwards. I think it ought to be God wrestles Jacob. Because God initiates this. And there is something about prayer that maybe we have it backwards. When I think of prayer, I think of, I'm coming to God. I'm initiating time with God. I am, I am coming to where God is. Maybe prayer is everything. Maybe God initiates all of prayer. Maybe, maybe God is the one who starts all of it. Maybe prayer is about God coming to us and inviting us to be with him, to wrestle with him. When you get to the end of this story, uh, Jacob walks away from this blessed. And you see here that, that Jacob is, is, is saying to God, he says to God, I want you to bless me. And God says, you know, he says, let go of me. And he says, no, I'm going to hang on until you bless me. And it's odd because you would, Jacob looks like from the outside, Jacob is already quite blessed. He leaves, he leaves his home with nothing but the clothes on his back. And when he comes home 20 years later, he's got wives and children. He's got so much, so many flocks, cattle and goats and sheep and donkeys that he can give his brother hundreds of them and really not miss them all that much. He looks blessed to me. But there is something in Jacob that realizes he isn't, life isn't what he wants it to be. Yes, he has all these possessions, and yes, he's been blessed with all these things, and even blessed with, an, with a large family, but something inside of him isn't quite right. And that's why God asks him, in response to bless me, God says, what's your name? Jacob means to grasp the heel, which is a... It's simply describing what it looked like when Jacob came out of the womb right after his brother Esau. He, was, he had his arm up and it looked like he was grasping at him. But that name figuratively means to, de- to be a deceiver, a schemer, a manipulator. And Jacob has lived up to his name. And you could say everything he has is because of his deceptiveness, because of his manipulation, because of his scheming. And, and, and he's done well with it. But you come to a point in life, especially in the crises of life like he's encountering, and you realize everything I've done and everything I've accomplished 
It's not enough. It's just not enough. There is something deeper in the yearning of our souls that possessions and all the great gifts and things that we, that we get in this world and accomplishments, something deep in our souls realizes it's not quite enough. Jacob is still crying out to be blessed. And so God says, what's your name? And I think he asked him that question because before we can ever experience that that depth of life with God, about what, before we can experience and understand all that God has created us to be, we have to admit, acknowledge who we are in the moment. Jacob has to say, this is who I am. I, I have lived my life manipulating, scheming, deceiving. And God says, that's good. I'm glad you're willing to admit that. Because now we can do something about it. And he says, you'll no longer be called Jacob, you will be Israel. Now, you know, Israel means to wrestle with God. That's a great thing to wrestle with God, but it doesn't really sound like he's being blessed. I mean, it seems to me that wrestling with God means that, I mean, it seems to me if you're going to be blessed, it ought to be something like Abraham, the father of many nations. We're going to be able to see this tangibly. And God says, no, this great blessing you're going to get is that you have wrestled and you've won. You've gotten what you wanted. You're going to find that blessing. Why? Because you've wrestled with God. There is something about wrestling with God in prayer that helps us to see God for who He is. And when we see God for who He is, He begins to reveal who we are. And in that revelation, we begin to see what God wants for us and what we can be in Him. But it comes with that wrestling. Wrestling with God is a gift. Wrestling with God is, is coming to the place where, where we are honest with God. We are willing to struggle with God. We're willing to say, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't like this. I don't want this. I want you to do something else. And we are completely honest with God. And I'm convinced that that's the kind of prayer that God wants from us. It's wonderful to trust God, and hopefully we, we are getting to the point where we're trusting God. And that prayer of relinquishment, as it's often called, is, is awesome. And if we can just come to the place of that, then that's terrific. But most of us don't arrive at that out of nothing and from nowhere. It's a journey. And often the prayer of tr- that we call the prayer of relinquishment or the prayer of trust is really a matter of us simply giving up. Saying, I don't want to mess with this. I don't want to be honest with God because, quite frankly, when you engage God in a wrestling match, you get blessed, but you also get hurt. You can get injured wrestling with God, just like Jacob. And when we come to God in honesty, when we come to God and we admit, who we are, and and we let God speak into our lives, He is going to put His finger on stuff in our lives that is harming us and holding us back. Those ways, that those coping mechanisms we have, our attitudes, our priorities, our motivations, all ways in which we have surrounded ourselves with protection, 
All the ways in which we accomplish the things that we want to get. All the ways in which we grasp stuff in this world. All the ways in which we keep ourselves safe. We're honest with God. We're wrestling with God. At some point, he's going to put his finger on those things and it hurts. Because he's touching stuff that we don't want him to touch. But the only way we can get from where we are to where God wants us to be is to let God work in those things. And that means being honest with God. Acknowledging those things. Admitting to those things when he, when he puts his finger on them. And that takes time. It doesn't usually happen in a moment. Jacob wrestles all night with God. It's one of the reasons why in the prayer vigil we talk, we, we want people to, to reserve hours at a time, an hour at a time, and that seems like a lot. It seems like a long time. Though most of us who experience that seem like it goes awfully quickly. But it takes time to settle ourselves. It takes time to, to get ourselves in a place where we can hear God. It takes time to sort of get rid of some of the distractions. And it takes time to wrestle with God, to really be honest with Him, and, and to, to say what we're thinking anyway, and to let God take those honest, our honest prayers and work in them and teach us and reveal Himself to us and reveal the truth about us. But that can be painful. And often... We kind of like to just give up. I'm amazed that Jacob keeps on wrestling despite the fact that he's injured. I think for me, I'd roll over in agony and say, I give up. I quit. I don't want to do this anymore. This is too hard. It's too painful. But not Jacob. He is desperate. And I think sometimes we pray like that. We give up way too soon. We roll over and say, God, I don't want to do this anymore. This is too hard. You're asking too much of me. I can't forgive that person. I don't want to deal with that issue. I don't want to get into that. I know that that will lead me to knowing you in deeper ways and experiencing you in deeper ways. But quite frankly, the pain's not worth it. So I quit. I think we do that because we think wrestling in prayer is about winning more than anything. But the scriptures keep telling us that wrestling with God in prayer is about knowing God. I was talking with a wrestling coach this week and he's telling me that it wasn't that many years ago that it was pretty easy to fill up both a JV and a varsity roster with wrestlers. But now he has a hard time even filling up his varsity roster with wrestlers. And as he talks with, with some of the, the guys in the school, even people who have wrestled for him before... What tends to be the reason for not wrestling, either to begin it or to continue it, is because you lose too often. And I want to lose. And he said to me, you know, wrestling is one of those sports that you learn by losing. You, you, that's just one of the primary ways you learn how to wrestle is you, you lose. And as you, as you start out in the younger ages, you lose a lot. And hopefully as you get older, you, you win a little bit more than you lose. But unless you're a top-tier wrestler then you're going to lose a fair amount. It's just the way it is. And he said a lot of the guys he talks to have simply decided they don't want to risk losing, so they don't compete. And as soon as he said that, I thought, 
think that's sometimes how we pray. I don't want to pray risky prayers. What if God doesn't do what I ask? I don't want to stick out my neck in prayer. What if God doesn't do what he, what, what I want him to do? I don't want to be bold in my prayers. What if it doesn't turn out the way I think it would? It should? I'm going to look like a fool. I'm going to be humiliated. But God never talks to us about that. He simply says, I want you to pray bold, risky, trusting prayers. I want you to stick out your neck. I want you to wrestle with me. Because it's not about winning. It's not about getting what we want. It's not about God doing what we want him to do. It's about building a relationship with God. An intimacy with God that leads us to understand who he is more and more. And understanding who he is, we trust him even more. And we keep praying bold prayers. I've, I've read many biographies through the years. And it struck me one day that the people who wrestle with God in prayer are the people who pray bold prayers. And I've discovered that the people who stick out their necks in prayer, the people who are risk takers in prayer, are the people who have spent their lives wrestling with God. And out of that wrestling have come to know God in a deeper way than I could ever imagine. And I'm astounded at the kinds of prayers they pray. And then I realize it's because they have spent their life engaged in prayer with God. And they've learned some things about God that you can only learn in a wrestling match with God. And often I haven't been willing to get into that kind of match with God. They've learned who God is because they've let God put his finger on things in their lives. And it's changed them and transformed them and it's made them new people. But it comes with being willing to engage with God. Wrestle with him. And not worry about winning or losing. Just being willing to get into the match. To get into the battle. Get into the struggle. Get down in the mud with God, so to speak. And to let God show us who he is. One of the most astounding verses in this whole story is verse 25. I want to, when I read this, I think that has to be some kind of scribal error. Somewhere along the line, the pronouns got switched. But in verse 25, it talks about how this man wrestling Jacob realized he would not win the match. And I read that and I think, are you kidding me? This, this is God wrestling with Jacob. And he says, I can't win the match. Something of that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like the God, uh, the creator God, almighty God, Yahweh. This doesn't seem like that kind of God. And yet this is what the scriptures tell us. I think there is something of the humility of God. That we see in this verse. When our boys were little, we would wrestle around, as you know, a lot of parents do with their children. We'd wrestle around, and you know, when they were five or six, I could usually pin them most of the time. Uh, most of the time. But, you know, as they got older, that changed. But when they were little, we would wrestle, and I mean, I could pin them every time, but I didn't. I let them win most of the time. And I wasn't mad when they danced around celebrating, I won, I won, I pinned dad. And they'd go in the kitchen or wherever and say, Mom, I pinned dad. 
I celebrated with them and we laughed and, and they thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And so did I, because it wasn't about winning or losing. It was about just being with them. It was that, that bonding experience that comes with wrestling and, and being together like that. That's what I wanted. They didn't know that at the time. All they thought we were doing was just wrestling. But I just wanted to, to know that closeness to them and to be with them and to experience that bonding kind of relationship with them. And when you look at this story of Jacob, I think that's exactly what God wants with us. God really isn't concerned about winning. He could win every time if he wanted to. But he chooses not to. But, he don't, but don't misunderstand me. He's not pretending. When God humbles himself, he humbles himself. When Jesus comes to this earth, he's really human. He faces every temptation that we face. When he goes into the wilderness and the evil one tempts him, that's not a facade, that's real. That's really happening. When he's kneeling in the garden in Gethsemane, he is really going through the agony of that moment. He's not pretending. It's real. When Paul says that Jesus, who being in very nature God, humbled himself, he didn't pretend to humble himself. He truly humbled himself. And when God engages us in this kind of activity, he truly humbles himself. To let us stay in the match. How in the world can Jacob stay in this match all night long? Because God humbles himself to have relationship with him and with us. And God is willing to limit himself. God is willing to humble himself. God is even willing to be vulnerable with us. To have intimacy with us. Because he knows in that intimacy, we are going to understand more and more of who he is. His nature, his character. We're going to understand more and more of what he wants in our lives to bless us in the deepest of ways. And we're going to build relationship with him. Every healthy relationship involves humility and vulnerability. You cannot have a healthy relationship without vulnerability. It's impossible. Whether you're talking about a marriage, parent, children, siblings, close friends... Every healthy relationship involves vulnerability. And one of the reasons our relationships fall apart so often is because we aren't willing to be vulnerable. God is always willing to be vulnerable. There is nothing more vulnerable than a baby born in a manger. There's nothing more vulnerable than a man hanging on a cross. There's nothing more vulnerable than a body laid in a tomb. Our God is is the very picture of vulnerability. And that vulnerability is because he yearns for us. In some ways you could say that as a wrestler you look for the weakness in your opponent... You look for that that place where you can tap into it and you can overcome them. And in a sense, that's what we find. That's what Jacob finds with God. That's what we find with God when we pray. That that God, God so yearns for us that he's willing to be vulnerable and engage with us. And he yearns for us. You read the scriptures, quite frankly, it's almost embarrassing 
how, how desperate God is to have a relationship with his people. I mean, over and over and over again, you and I would have grown impatient a long time before God ever begins to be impatient. Over and over again, God's people reject him, turn to idolatry, act as if he means nothing and he's done nothing and he is nothing. Over and over and over and over again. And the church of the centuries has done that. And let's be honest, we've done it. And again and again and again, God keeps saying, I'm still here for you. I yearn for you. I want you. Think about God's description Hosea gives us of God in his prophecy, where God has finally said, I'm I'm totally fed up with you people. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm done with you. I'm just leave you to the consequences of your behavior. I'm done. I'm out of here. You're on your own. And in the next breath, God says, but how can I ever give you up? How could I ever let my people go? Quite frankly, God looks a little bit desperate in seeking us and yearning for us. But when you read the scriptures, God doesn't care if he looks desperate. He just wants us. And he will go to any length, even a baby in a cross, in a tomb, seek us. And that's why getting into a wrestling match with God is one of the greatest gifts he has ever given us. In the end, Jacob, I think Jacob spends the rest of his life remembering that event. How could you forget it? But just in case, Jacob has something to remember. Every morning when he gets up out of bed, he feels it right there in that hip. And every time he bends down to pick up one of his grandchildren, he feels it right there in that hip. As he's out herding sheep, he feels it right there in that hip. He knows when it's going to rain because he feels it right there in that hip. And every time he feels it, it's not a negative thing. It's a good thing. And somehow Jacob Jacob remembers the vulnerability of God. Jacob remembers wrestling with God. He remembers being blessed by God. He remembers he doesn't have to be who he always was. God has bigger plans for him than that. A.J. Swoboda, our clue speaker, says, Christians are a movement of people who believe that God still wrestles with us. So the question for us is, do we want to wrestle with him? And find in that wrestling his deepest blessings. It's worth the pain. It's worth the limp. 
Father, thank you for this gift, this invitation. Forgive us that we so often run and ignore and give us the grace to be willing to wrestle with you in prayer and find more than we could have ever dreamed possible. We ask this through the grace of Christ Jesus. Amen.
the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.